0: Welcome back to another episode of Beautiful Adaptive Warrior. I'm your host, Angie Fuser. It's time to unleash the warrior within you. Are you ready? Today begins the first part of a five-week series for Limb Loss Awareness Month with my special guest, Mike Coots. So Mike, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Angie. Aloha.
0: Aloha. Um, so obviously, based on that uh, greeting, you can tell he's not a mainlander. He's uh, on, on the islands. is in Kauai. Um, Mike, why don't you start out just by giving us a little bit about who you are right now in your life who are you what defines Mike
1: yeah I would say I'm I'm first a a surfer um an ocean lover um I'm a shark attack survivor I'm an advocate for sharks um I love photography it's my profession um but it's it's also it's a it's a huge love of my life and it's a great creative outlet and I I really enjoy whether it's taking photos of, of nature and the beaches and, and changing weather and, and that, but um, I also love just shooting people and gifting people with prints and memories. And um, it's it's really fun and and, and love shooting sharks. Uh, it's, I guess we'll, we'll probably talk about it a little bit, but it's been, I don't know, it's been therapeutic in a way. It gives me a, a real sense of purpose. Um, and I've just, I've really found the the challenge of it, um, that it's an incredibly difficult subject to photograph. And I've just really enjoyed the process of learning how to capture sharks yeah that so is fascinating. That's, that's that kind of wraps up yeah i am mean, yeah that yep and i i'm a brother i mean i am a sister and love my family and i have a good group of friends here on the island and it's it's been a it's been a fun few years and a, a really good ride
0: yeah that's cool yeah. Well, and and our meeting was kind of a, an odd meeting um kind of the friend yeah. through the friend through the friend but really all through social media too um yeah. ironically meeting you was um because of my my own mistake on leaving a power cord for my leg back here in the states when i uh-huh. came to visit Hawaii, um and i had reached out to coach yep. chris who is on yep, oahu yep. yes
1: yeah um, correct yeah
0: in a panic um for those of you that don't know with my c leg if it's not plugged in after a while it just kind of shuts down and it i tell people it's it's like um Losing power steering on your car.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, yeah. yes, I can get the leg to bend if I take my hands, but to actually try to walk and bend it, it doesn't, it, it's not enough power. And so uh, when you're going to be gone for a whole week and you know that you don't have your power cord the first day you get to an island, um, I reached out to coach Chris, who I actually just met through trying to figure out how to figure out how to surf for the first time ever yeah. and, as an amputee. And he was so phenomenal. He is such a great guy. I can't wait to actually physically meet him. I have not even met him. Um, But when I said, do you know of anybody on Kauai that might Uh -uh. have a charging cord that I could just borrow? And he said, you, and it wasn't until after I looked at some of your pictures, I'm like, yeah, he's a baloney.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So you don't need a power charger. I don't know yeah, yeah. But But I think when was that 2000, was that right before Christmas? Was it during the winter holidays? December, maybe 2019.
0: It was, yep. It was right before, it was in December. Yep. And it was, yeah. Cause we were going to come out and we were actually going to surf this past year and then Kauai shut down with the yep, restrictions yep, yep, for the yep, pandemic. So yeah. it was the year before, which was right after not even, it was not even a year after my amputation that I okay. jumped out yeah. and got on the water.
1: Yeah. So and then you had that traveling. great photo of, yeah. That really that good surfing was. photo. Of, and you, yeah. That was a really good shot. Um, you're with yeah. uh, my one of my close friends, um, his surf lessons. Evan's yeah. surf lesson, yeah, yeah. yeah well, and that's, that was a you great know,
0: shot, and and to get to know you, um, well, that spoke volumes. First off, I was petrified to actually text you. I mean, when when Coach Chris gave me your number, I was like, I'm not going to text this person. I don't even know him. Oh He's going to think God. I'm crazy. <laughs> um, just to just say that that's just such a, um, a you were you were kind and you were accommodating and helpful and. Uh, you didn't even think twice of helping a complete stranger in need. And that speaks to your character that I've now seen and 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 watched and, and grown into seeing you do that and the way you treat others. Um, maybe it's a, maybe it's a Mike Coots thing. Maybe it's an Aloha thing. I don't know, but maybe it's a well, little thank bit you. of both than how you were maybe raised. Bit, yeah. yeah. Um, you, but you made you, me yeah. feel very comfortable and, and you didn't make me feel like I, I was putting you out or a problem. And you actually directed me to, um, prosthetist on
1: eric eric walton yep eric yep north shore yeah. prosthetics which yeah. again
0: you guys the aloha yeah. feeling and vibes eric went out of his way to call Autobach and get uh-huh. them to ship one in two days to the islands from east coast wow. i think yeah they didn't charge me
1: shipping and they didn't up-charge. they need to make that just a regular usb that needs to you know, be a regular, not a, course they can yeah. <laughs> so
0: I mean that's kind of how Mike and I met and the great thing was well the sad thing was is that when we first were like oh I'm like I'd love to surf with you and he's like I'm actually going to California we're going for a photo shoot
1: yeah mm-hmm. and yeah, I remember uh, it was kind of a real busy time yeah
0: it was yeah. and and but you were so great because you're like I'll be back Friday we were leaving Saturday and so we met up um, you and Evan and I and my family and um, and that was just so yeah. awesome to make that connection because you know it's great to meet people on social media, but to actually finally meet people face to face, there's nothing, there's something that gets lost in translation in social media. Yep. And, and there's nothing better than face to face. Yeah.
1: So a that's how connection. Mike and I met. Yeah. yeah. And here we are.
0: I know, yeah. right? And I would never <laughs> yeah. have guessed that my life would have gone this direction. Um. And I think it's so cool knowing you. I feel like I know a complete celebrity because, like, I was in the Bahamas. Last January, and I remember texting you going, "Your shirts here." So Mike's Ooh, shirts were taken yeah. up. And what company was that that would have printed on their shirts?
1: Uh, uh, Visla. It's a it's a surfwear yes. brand out of California. They make amazing stuff. Really good board shirts. Yeah. yeah. And so good I people. saw that. Yeah. And I'm
0: like I know this person. This is his. So that was really <laughs> cool to see that. So, all right. So moving on, I would love, okay, this is going to become a selfish interview because there's going to be a lot that I just, um, I'm taking this from what I don't know about you and what I'd like to get to know about you. And I know that people that have seen your shark pictures and follow you on Instagram probably don't know a lot of this stuff about you. So, um, when it comes to your childhood, so you were born and raised on Kauai?
1: Correct. Yep. Born and raised. Uh, we have a little little hospital, Wilcox hospital. Um, yeah, Yes.
0: I've seen that one many times. It, went to, it, went oh, to the
1: elementary school down the road, maybe half a mile away. Um, yeah. I mean, it was really great time to be, um, I don't know, to have a childhood in Hawaii before um, it really kind of became known in the world. I think, I especially the last couple of years of social media, um, a lot of the like, beautiful places in the world, there's been a lot of visitors and and when I was a kid, it wasn't really like that. Um, just we would hitchhike everywhere to the beach and um just everything in the ocean like my friends and I no matter what it was fishing diving snorkeling surfing um, we just tried to we just wanted to be in the water and I remember that was pretty much my childhood was hitchhiking to the beach and jumping in the water and as soon as school ended um, it was beach time every single day
0: that was my next question is like so what are the activities because Kauai uh if you haven't been on the island Kauai is a smaller island it's considered the garden island correct correct yeah um so it's not and I have never been to any other. Quite frankly, I think it would tarnish my feel of the Hawaiian yeah, Islands if yeah. I left Kauai. It's
1: just yeah, no need to I go. I think we the right one. Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: But I have heard that the other islands have even like they look feel like very city like, like especially the Big yeah. Island, very city like, very retail oriented mm-hmm. things like that. Whereas. Yeah. Hawaii is more nature
1: centered. Yeah, more like outside activities. Um, there's no real nightlife here. We have not that many shops. There's no like luxury brand. We don't have Coach store or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's real laid back and kind of a every town sort of a sleepy little town.
0: Yeah. So yeah. from a girl coming yeah. from like Chicago area. Yep. I know what I did growing up. What are the things kids, kids, children, and and up to adolescents? What are they doing? What did you do growing yeah.
1: up? I mean, it did was, it was, it was just, it was, yeah, it was basically show up at the beach, we, no towels, nothing, maybe not even a board. Uh, we just body surf. We had a board ride aboard. Um, you get cold, you make fires on the beach with the, you know, the twigs and the sticks that wash up from the river. Um, if it's raining, you just, you know, go under a coconut tree and wait for it to stop and get back in the water. Um, I, I, I think, uh, I, I mean, it was literally every single day it was at the beach, I remember. Um, I basically was raised at the beach and spent a lot of time just hanging with other surfers and sort of learning life lessons from the some of the elders and um and, and it was a time too when like surf forecasting wasn't really that big um so you really never knew when you got to the beach what you were going to see so there's always that excitement like i can maybe catch the best wave of my life today or i could see the best ways i've ever seen or when we were a kid when when um like the, the ultimate thing is getting barreled um when a wave breaks over and when a barrel is really good, it'll spit and sort of breathe this mist out. And like the first time you ever got to see that, like you'd hear about it, like, or the first time you ever got spit out of a barrel, it's like these little milestones as a kid or like rites of passage. Like I got spit out of a barrel yesterday. No, you didn't. I did. So-and-so saw it. And, <laughs> um, you just kind of build on that. Or like when you do your first air on a board or a 360 and, um, and, and we would every once in a while have like pros that would come to to our island visit and, you just you know sit on the beach and just watch them and, and be like wow and they come in and try to get their autographs and um i don't know it was just a really cool time um yeah i i would jump change it for a thing yeah no yeah.
0: i i think that would be a, a nice way to grow up definitely just yeah. natural and low-key right yeah yeah um, very low-key yeah what were some of your dreams or aspirations what did you did you ever think you'd get off the island did you plan to go to college uh, on the mainland did you did you want to travel what were some things you were dreaming and thinking about as as an adolescent
1: yeah i would say when i was about 12 years old i really started getting into bodyboarding um it was a, a time when the sport um you could make um, a good living doing it and there was a, magazines and a lot of videos and um uh, and, and a lot of professionals from hawaii that were making a good living doing it it was a, a really i think it at, the, at that time it was the fastest growing sport in the world um and that's basically you're laying down on like the, on the sponge board like boogie boarding um but the sport is called bodyboarding and from about yeah 12 onwards that's what i wanted to do i wanted to make a living doing that and um my, my family we took a, a holiday to new zealand when i was 14 uh, maybe 15 and we visited uh, the north island and we we kind of just were driving around and um we visited this town, Tyro and my parents absolutely fell in love with it. And we got back to Hawaii, and my parents spent a couple years—I think it was like a year and a half—trying to get citizenship in New Zealand. It was really hard. My dad's a paramedic, and um, they needed paramedics, and uh, he had to basically say he'd volunteer. It's like a volunteer service there, and by agreeing to volunteer, we got citizenship. And we le- felt like we packed up overnight and moved there. And I was—I uh, was just really nervous, like to leave my friends, leave the warm, you know, the warm surf here. It's New Zealand's cold. Um, I didn't never worn a wet in my life and we got there and, and I, I remember going to bed that night and, and kind of being like, well, this is like a new chapter in my life. And like, it was just such a fast, like it literally felt like a week after we got that letter saying we got citizenship. I was spending my first night in New Zealand and my mom woke me up the next morning and was like, there's some people downstairs to see you. And I opened the door and it was, uh, this guy, um, Wayne Zenda and, uh, and Matt um three Kiwi surfers and they're like hey hey mate heard you're from Hawaii I figure you're a surfer you want to come surfing with us and from that moment on for the next two years when I lived there I surfed my brains out with those three guys and they became my best friends and um it was a a really fun time I had to learn how to put on a wetsuit I had no idea about the hat my very first session with them I was like I'm just going to wear board shorts and it was so dang cold but yeah so that was pretty amazing um living in that that little town Um, went to two years of high school there at Tim's high school and come around my senior year I was 17 my family decided to move back to Kauai Um, my stepdad's um, his father was getting sick uh, getting older and sick and I wanted to be closer to him and they also I think my parents wanted me to graduate high school in America for college it helped to you know have a yeah for for going to college and so we came back and when I came back a lot of my friends that were bodyboard together were now top competitive bodyboarders um, like some of them are even making money and getting paychecks every couple of weeks. Um, they're doing a lot of traveling. And I was like, Whoa, this is amazing. And they're part of a bodyboarding team. And I joined that team. It was called quiet classic. Um, and it was about eight of us or so. And we basically just all day trained with the coach and would go on these trips um, to contests. And I was like, this is what I want to do. And, and it was when I was um, I had graduated that year at Kapa high school, in June, this is in 1997, and spent the summer with that with my team and my coach training, and came around that fall. We had a re, like one of our first swells of the year, and it was a really good, like a really good forecast, and we were so excited. And we uh, mm-hmm. we all went down morning. This is in late October, and I remember pulling up with my coach and my other um, teammates, and we uh, we got to the beach, and it's a surf spot called Major's Bay, and we opened the car door, and I smelt like a really stinky smell, and I probably should have taken it as a cue not to go out, um, but because. Also, with my teammate, my coach, the waves were going off. We paddled out and I was in the water for about 10 minutes or so. And I saw a beautiful wave coming and my friends had all caught waves and they're all on the inside. And I started paddling for a wave and a large tiger shark came up straight up from underneath me, grabbed onto me. And I was basically getting attacked by a shark and it, it bit my leg off. I didn't feel it come off at all. Um, I just, I was in a total fight or flight moment um, and punched it in the nose a few times and. Remember, uh, it sort of felt like I was in a movie, like watching a character, like kind of disconnected from it all. I felt no pain or anything like that. Just an immense amount of pressure. And it also like growing up, we would see centipedes and we have like, that's kind of like the only thing on land that can really like sort of hurt you here besides maybe bees. But when we see a centipede, you get like the, the hair stand up on your skin. You kind of get that get away from me kind of feeling. And that's the exact feeling I had when I was getting attacked was just kind of get away from me. It felt like a, a giant centipede was on me or something. Um, wow. And I got, so I punched it a couple times. I actually stuck my hand in its mouth to try to get my legs out. Um, and that didn't work. And, and, but punching it in the nose did, and it went back underwater and I got back on my board and I, I looked at my finger, it was split open um, and I could see blood and everything and bone and knew I was injured. And I had no idea about my leg. And I started paddling to the beach. And as I'm paddling um, to kind of get to shore as fast as I can, my, my, my right leg that was sort of closer to its um, jaw started. Like doing this spasm like this uncontrollable shake and as when you're paddling you don't see what's behind you and your legs are behind you so I thought it was obviously the the shark was attacking me again because it was this weird shaking and I looked over my shoulder it wasn't that it was my leg like like completely severed off like you can see this pen like that clean just cut right off Um, and squirting blood out every time my heart beat and um, didn't really have time to like get super scared and and I don't know it wasn't I mean it was it was happening so fast and I thought I was going to die, but it wasn't a real scary feeling. I just, I don't know. i just felt real calm and collected, I guess. And I, I got to the sand and I tried standing up, but without a foot, you can't stand. And I, I rolled, cause I caught the kind of up the sandbank, tried to stand and I rolled back down a little bit. Then my friends all ran up to my, to my side. And uh, my friend Kyle uh, did, uh, made a tourniquet with my leash, like the, the plastic cord that connects you to the board uh, made a really nice tourniquet, which stopped the bleeding and, and saved my life. And, he said a prayer for me on the beach right there, um, to not die and, and to just, you know, to trust God. And I just, I felt really like calm and I don't know, it was just this sort of surreal feeling. And I opened my eyes from the prayer and the pickup truck right there. They threw me in the back of the truck and we, we pulled butt to the ER. It was about a 10 minute ride to the emergency room. And I remember going into like going to shock, getting really hot and really cold back in like the cycle, hot, cold, hot, cold we got to the emergency room and I remember the, the ER doors opening up and the doctor running right up to the bed of the truck and he put his arm on my shoulder and I just gave to, and I, I passed out and I mm-hmm. woke up um, sort of like in this dreamlike state in the um, sort of they took cut my clothes off and, and I'm kind of like looking at the ceiling and they're like, how big was the shark? And I explained the nose is like this, this, and I passed out again. And I um, woke up in the hot in the actually in the ambulance going to our main hospital. Um, and I can't remember just being in this like really weird state and, the medic was a friend of my dad's because my dad's a paramedic and they knew each other and he was making shark jokes. And I remember sort of laughing and trying to find humor in it. And I, I kind of, mm. my body gave out again and I passed out and I woke up. It was must've been like 24 hours later in our main hospital. And it was sort of this real somber moment um, with my parents next to me and the doctors. And I was like, you know, why is everybody so sad? <laughs> and I thought they're going to tell me I was going to die or something. And my mom was like, you know, you, you're um you're missing a leg, you know. And I'm like, Yeah, I know I saw it come off. And they're like, Oh he knows. and <laughs> and then from then on it was hugs and kisses, and you know, we're gonna get you through this. And and I I I thought I was I, I had no idea about prosthetics. I, I didn't think I was gonna be able to walk ever again. I just I had never seen an amputee in my life, you know, where it's a small island. I knew nothing about prosthetics, I didn't even know that word. And about maybe three days into my hospital stay, a guy um, that I didn't know came and visited me. He was wearing pants and um, I had a lot of visitors, just people in the community coming and going. So I didn't really think too much of it. He just came in, and said hi. I'm like, oh, how's it going? And he left. And my mom was like, so, you know, he's got a prosthetic. That's what you're going to have. And I was like, a prosthetic? What is that? And she's like, that's a device to help you walk. You don't know about it. I'm like, no, you guys could have told me. That. I didn't know. Anything, you know, <laughs> there was something that was going to help me walk. And um, it was sort of a defining moment. And it really, I think it, it lifted my spirits. And it wasn't like I was bummed that I just didn't know about it.
0: I I think from a different perspective it's interesting um, the fact that your parents didn't know that you knew that your leg was gone and the relief that was there right because obviously it's 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 much better to have lost a leg than to die um and right there I already saw the hope that you already had right off the get-go and you were still in the hospital yeah curious to find out your mindset when you were in the hospital and all that was happening and yeah, people are coming and going and everybody knows that when there's people surrounding you, your mind is preoccupied, everybody's boosting spirits and everything, but it's those moments that define us that are when we have to pick ourselves up and what's going on in our heads behind the scene, right? When it's just us dealing with our circumstance and we have to think it through and it's a mental game at times. I'm interested to hear when you had those moments and you're in the hospital, or even the days and weeks after the attack, back then when you were in the midst of it, did you consider that a tragedy?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, or no, not at all. No. Yeah. I was, yeah, I mean, I kind of, I, I, I was thinking that I probably wouldn't have, I don't know, like I thought I was going to die in that moment. So I'd be able to wake up in the hospital, and even though I was missing a limb, I felt just grateful to be alive. Um, okay.
0: Yeah. So that tells us mindset right there, attitude, right? Yeah. That, that's, yeah. Those are moments that help yeah. us heal mentally, emotionally, physically. Yeah. And then in those times when you were alone, did you have those moments? Did you ever, did the darkness ever come in at all that you had to kind of really, uh, really yeah. strain yourself um, to push it away at times?
1: So it's all silly, but the, for me, the hardest part was I was in the hospital for a week and then I had three weeks where I was pretty much bedridden. And during those three weeks, the waves were really good. And I just wanted to go surfing. And that was the hardest part for me it was I wasn't at the beach. Cause up to that point in my life, that was really my every day, my routine, every day was in the water and to have to, you know, lay in a bed with my foot elevated, my residual limb elevated and having to go back to the you know doctor's appointments and this and that, I just wanted to be at the beach and my friends would call and tell me how good the waves were and what swells were coming. And, and to me, that was the hardest part it's I know it it sounds really weird and strange and it wasn't missing a leg it was just not being at the beach with my friends yeah well yeah and And, and that was then that was during that period and then there's been times later on where it's the hard part is not it has been like just the physical pain from Mm -hmm. being an a um the phantom pain there was some phantom pain and that was really painful for me and, and unfortunate that went away and then Later on, just not good fits of prosthetics for a long time. I had really bad fitting prosthetics, and I would get blisters.
0: Yeah,
1: and um, everything would break, and and that was difficult. Yeah, that was probably the most difficult part of the whole thing was just the interface of the prosthetic and myself, and the skin issues and things like that.
0: Yeah. It's, it's what people don't see. That's one of those moments, like, you know, pictures yeah. that I've seen of you with your surfboard and you've got your prosthetic on, or people see me with my prosthetic on, they don't realize sometimes every step can be rubbing something yeah. <laughs> and you just kind of yeah. smile and keep going, yeah, yeah, you know, and it's just, yeah. it is what it is because our limbs are constantly changing. So what would you say now, when you look back on it, and I kind of already know you're just based on what you've said. I know what your answer is going to be on this would you go back to that day? Would you do it again, knowing that's the outcome? And how do you see what you've been through? How has that defined you?
1: Yeah. Um, would I have piled out that day knowing I would lose a limb? Absolutely. I feel like it might've been one of the greatest, you can know the greatest thing that's ever happened to me You know, in a strange way. I don't think my life would be nearly as complete or near, I don't know. It's just, I feel like the luckiest happy team in the world right now. and um, wouldn't change it for me like the world yeah
0: it's interesting that you say that because I think that um the one of the reasons why I was really hoping to get you on is because I can speak from a perspective I prepped for this I spent Mm -hmm. eight years in pain and misery and ready to live my life again I chose amputation based on my injuries and then I felt like I owed it to myself to make the best of it so yeah. every day, that's my goal is, you know, I'm not going to sit and complain about it. I chose this path and I wanted your perspective because I think some people will question mine because, well, yeah, were well, you prepared? I had an accident. Okay, then let's talk to someone who's had an accident. Let's, yeah. let's yeah. talk to someone where it wasn't all rosy and, and not that mine was. I mean, it was, it's hard to decide to take your own leg and know it's coming. Yeah. You know, yeah. you didn't have that yeah. choice, but I'm not sure what's worse. Having the choice and waiting months for that surgery. Yeah or it just happens. And I think hearing your mindset and and coming from actually a a city person here, it's ironic to me that I met you as a surfer after I was an amputee, because I always have had fears of being in the water because I don't want to be attacked by a shark. (laughs) And we lived four years in Florida. And so yeah. when, you know, your, your city girl coming in, living in Florida, being in the ocean with your little kids, you know, there was times where my husband was like, you guys are getting a little far out. It's kind of cloudy mm-hmm. water. And, and you almost, you almost instill that. And I think we almost instilled a little bit of that into our kids, knowing that we wanted them to be cautiously safe, yep. but maybe overly cautious. So someone like me who never really did anything deep in water or out where I was, recreationally in water it is really hard for me to think how you can possibly mentally get past that roadblock and say you want to get out there again yeah so I mean did you ever have a moment where you're like man that better not happen
1: or you know do you ever do
0: that turnaround and looking
1: you know I I won't lie there's been a couple times just because I'm I surf in all types of conditions this year alone I've probably surfed 30 times in like thunderstorms and you know become like flash flooding where I'm at a river mouth and it's just sucking out with debris and you're in the middle of that um and maybe there's little moments like that or it's like last night I, I surfed pretty much into the pitch black where you can't even see the wave coming and you know we're far out on a point um so there's there's little moments like that and I think that's just natural and that's a, a good thing is just to be aware and we, we definitely I think we have a like an instinct in us to be able to recognize those situations that maybe you know it's time to go in um it's definitely a healthy thing but on a day-to-day um there's no i don't ever th- really think about sharks like going into the water yeah it's just i don't know that surf is something about surfing and, and maybe it's the inherent dangers of surfing sharks are at the very bottom of that there's a lot of other things that you probably want to be cognizant of um, whereas <laughs> sharks are just if it's going to happen it's going to happen it's not some you know it's just it is what it is and um and there was no, definitely no fear when I first went back in the water and actually went back very similar um for my surf first surf session um, nearby where I got attacked and since then I've surfed that spot a bunch of times and there's no I don't know I just I, I feel strongly that if it were to happen it's going to happen for a reason and I'd be able to write a pretty good book <laughs> right yeah yeah
0: it's like getting struck by lightning twice
1: <laughs> And I've had some close encounters um, diving with sharks and and shooting sharks, but, but it's just, I guess that's just part of, you know, doing the nature of what I do.
0: Right. Well, and, and before we get into your profession that you do so well, when you were going through this, I've noticed a lot of people will say that, um, you know, they, their circumstance, they have a hard time rising above that circumstance, you know, a woe is me attitude or a pity party kind of a thing. But I also noticed that there are some people that are obviously dealt a hand where they don't have a support system either. Yep. And that's, that's a tough one because I know that without my family, I, I yeah. would be not as strong. I, I had a good base, right? Yep. So what do you think were the most important things and who, not just what, but who was important in your healing process, whether it was mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, whatever, who
1: and what? were the keys in your recovery? You know, I would say it's, it was my parents. They were by my my side. And, and I, don't, I just can't say um, enough good things about just the whole process. And I think it was like harder on my mom than it was on anybody else. Um, but I, I think when she saw that I was able to adapt to the, the new lifestyle of, you know, being limbless, um, it, it was easier for her. But my parents were by my side every second of the way. And, and you know, my first trip, to get a prosthetic on the mainland, my mom was with me, you know, next to me the entire time. Like, I, I just can't say enough good things. And when I want, wanted to get a career in photography, she's like, you know, go and do it. It was they were supportive of me with whatever I wanted to do, very supportive of me. And and I think it was my my faith in God and just being able to trust. There's a lot of a lot of situations, and I and I think I've I've learned to like. I would get these like maybe like an examples. I'd get a really bad blister a day before a big exam in college, where I had to physically get to class and I couldn't even put my prosthetic on. And I'm like, how am I gonna to get to class? And I would you know, worry about it and, and worry and, and and it's just, you know, I'm gonna miss out, I'm not gonna be able to graduate, I'm not this and it's because of this blister. And I would just say a prayer and I'd go to sleep and the next day that blister is gone and I'm in class taking my exam. And it was, I after a while I just started to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> that, you know, things would get thrown at me, stuff would, prosthetic parts would break, and I'm in a foreign country, and I have now, you know, I went to Mexico on a surf trip, and within five minutes of being in that country, my foot snaps off, and I don't know anybody, and I just, um, you know, and you just trust the process, and maybe two hours after that, my leg is fixed, a machinist, you know, just happened to hear, and he took it to his shop, and didn't want to charge me and did a better job than I could probably have gotten it done here. And it was, it's just things like that. Like you could really it, being an amputee. I mean, it's, you know, I'm very fortunate and I now have the best prosthetics in the world. And I have, you know, the global leader in prosthetics backing me, but there was a time when I didn't have that. And there was many years of no insurance and buying used parts on eBay and having my uncle weld things in the middle of the night. So I could get, you know, and the next day I could go and do a photo shoot. There was a lot of like, lot of trials, and but it. I think it really maybe made my character of who I am, and to like I said, to be able to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Whether you know, I've I've lost prosthetics in the ocean when it was. I didn't have money. I didn't have any help to get a new one, and it just disappeared surfing. And (laughs) you know, it's going to be six months where I'm going to be on crutches, and I'm. Every you know, as soon as you lose, it's like your your prosthetic is your transportation. It's your self worth. It's so much things, and for it to just you know come right off and all of a sudden it's gone out of your life and you're like what you know what do i do now those moments and you just gotta trust that it's gonna work out and like that example the next day somebody doing surf lessons steps on it and picks it up out of the water what is this oh it's a prosthetic maybe it must be mics picks up the phone you know and 24 hours you know sitting on the seafloor i get my leg back that's um, crazy there's, there's been, yeah there's it's just been there's been just a lot of moments like that where it's i And I look back and I realize, you know, everything is happening for a reason and to just trust that and to not, you know, overly stress about things.
0: I totally love that. I am all about faith. Um, Yeah. Worry gets you nowhere, except just makes more anxiety in your life. You can't control things. And you're right. I mean, it's, it's, I laughed the first time you said it, but I don't know if you know, but um, the podcast I just published on Wednesday of this week Mm -hmm. was called. Being comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's yeah, what it's titled. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it's, I'm so glad it's not just me thinking that way, but it's yeah. literally, there's fears. There's always fears. Um, I'm trying to get used to my running blade. And you know, if I put it on, there's a chance that I'm going to take a, a nose dive at some point in time yeah. of the day. You know, There's always these times where the other day I tried to put my leg on and it didn't go on right. So take it yeah. off, put it on again. Nope, didn't feel right. Take it off. And it's an exhausting process because I'm skin yeah. fit. And so it's just, even the day starts off and you're like, Ooh, you know, yep. I get it. But it's, it's interesting. And I love the fact that faith, um, your faith is there. And I, I think that speaks volumes because we can have a support system. We can have the people, the right people around us. We can have a good attitude, but if things go wrong and they will, <laughs> something's going to happen. Something's going to break. Something's going to be me forgotten. You just have to have faith in the in the process that that there is a higher power working on that. I, I totally agree. And it's interesting to see the your perspective because I mean, yes, you and I've talked a little bit, but I love really hearing what your heart's about and your heart speaks everything that I feel like I've tried to live through this, but the fact that you came from a completely different avenue, um, becoming an amputee than I did. You know, we are coming from totally different walks of life on that
1: aspect and i think it's cool to see it play out in your life it sounds kind of cheesy but like when i would have when i would break a lot of prosthetics you would go through the day and be like like every little like let's say you you did a photo job every little task that you do you feel grateful that you were able to do it and your leg didn't break you come to the end of the day and you're like and you really value like every step you're stoked it didn't like you just you really felt like it's something that i don't know you You don't take for granted to be able to do what you want to do when you want to do it and it's because any second that could be taken away that car that carbon could snap any second or that bolt can snap um and you know that you're you know you're basically everything stops in your life and to be able to end the day and and go to sleep and be like okay nothing you know i I pulled it off it's yeah or or the challenges like the first time I, i drove a manual you know a stick shift vehicle I, I didn't think I could do that. And you build on these little like these hard little things that you think maybe you can't do, or the first time I rode a dirt bike and shifted gears on a dirt bike, or the you know, the first time I went for a ran with my prosthetic, you think you can't do this and you do it and it just it creates like this confidence and it's like these little mile markers, these little chapters, and you're like, okay, if I could do this, I could do this, and I could do this, I could do this. And you sort of build these little pieces and eventually it feels like you can do anything you put your mind to.
0: Yeah, and I do. I think it's a complete attitude um, mindset that will help anybody overcome any challenge. It doesn't have to be an APT. It's yeah. just, we're all going to face challenges yeah. like we all face fears. And, and I think that yeah. just how we approach it from an internal perspective, will decide whether or not we can be successful in getting through it.
1: Yeah. And I think anybody can, you know. It's crazy, I'm sure you get this, but like, like for myself, like people come up and they feel sorry for me. Like, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry and it's you know, in our 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 disabilities, if you want to call it, are so visible. A lot of people, you know, have things that are actually inhibit their lives much more than our prosthetics do. But yeah. You can't see it. You know, they're hidden. And I think everybody has got, you know, is an amputee in their own way or has got some sort of something that maybe might be stopping them from doing what they want to do. And nine out of ten people, it's not as visible or physic, you know, it's visceral is ours right
0: and what do you say to someone like that 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 was something i wanted to talk to you about what what advice would you give to someone especially maybe if they come from like having nobody around them that can lift them up i mean there are a lot of people that live alone with these their own tragedies their own amputations or disability what what is what is a a key to success what is some advice
1: you would give them well i just i like if somebody you know feel sorry i just try to smile and be like you know it's, it's all good I, I still do exactly what i love to do yeah um, and i think when they see that they understand and, and um yeah and, or maybe the contrary like if i go for a beach run in la and people see me running with my prosthetic you know i get claps and i, I think it motivates other people to want to do you know that maybe if they've got a barrier like well this guy's doing that and maybe hopefully that afternoon that guy goes for a run and he's wanted to go for a run for months and he just felt like Maybe he was overweight or he couldn't do this or he had a sore ankle or something like that. And I, you know, I I hope maybe it's more of those instead of the, the, I'm sorry. And and for you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It actually motivates me more and fills my bucket up more when people actually reach out to me and say, you motivated me to do this. I'm not even an amputee, but now I'm doing this because if you can, then I can. And then part of me is like, well, what does that mean? Like, you know, cause I don't <laughs> think that I can't like, right? Like yeah. Yeah. when you met me, I had never ever gone in the ocean to surf and I was just hell bent on surfing because for eight years, every, every year we came to Kauai, you didn't know about this about me, but every time we'd come to Kauai, um, I was injured, my okay. knee injury. I was yeah. just after surgery, so I couldn't get in the ocean. Um, I was really sore and couldn't, I mean, I crutched on your beaches. Like,
1: that's yeah. hard. Uh,
0: <laughs> Crutching yeah. on beaches she is hard. At
1: at yeah. yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah.
0: but I even surprised my husband because I didn't even tell him. I had my process. I actually reached out to, I don't know if you know, Danny Burt out in yeah, California. I, uh, yeah, yeah. I reached out to her because I was looking for someone above me that surfed to see mm-hmm. that if it was a possibility, right? At first, I know no one, like you said, you know no one that's an amputee until you become an amputee, then you know everybody who's an amputee, but I knew no one and I thought, well, what are my chances of doing things I wanna do? I wanted to ski again. So I started researching that and then you start reaching out to these people and you find that amputees tend to be really open, friendly and wanting to help. I mean, they just wanna see everybody succeed, right? Um, And through their own challenges and it, it helps them cope and heal. And, and Danny sent me her actual blueprints. She created her own surf leg for an above knee. And I'm yeah. like, okay, she's an above knee. She can do it. I can do this. Even though I had never well, surfed before.
1: Champion, I know. I, know. Oh, I didn't even
0: realize that till after we started okay. talking, I'm like, this is great. And that, that was the knee that I brought out. My prosthetist had made it for me at no charge. He had parts. As you understand the whole parts business, he had lots of parts and he put it together for me and. And that's how I met then Evan because Coach Chris yeah. sent me to, to Evan's place in Honolulu. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think it's funny. My kids didn't want to get in the water because they had a very healthy fear of what was in the water, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, maybe unhealthy, I should say. But I thought, well, I'm already one leg down. What's <laughs> <laughs> the big deal? If it goes no. for that leg, good yeah. luck trying to get it off of me. Yeah. Uh, if it goes for the other leg, I know at that point it was like, you know, you're invincible. <laughs> I feel like a teenager again. I'm like, well, I already can make it with this leg. So if I lose another leg, so be it. I, that's what it's meant to be. And so I was able to go out and actually totally enjoy it. And there is a complete stoke about it. And that's when I, that's when I took off. Like there was no looking back at that point. What else can I do? What else have I wanted yep. to do? Because I want to do it now. You know, and it, it truly is a mindset that um, we can either decide that we're a victim of what happened in our life and we can get pity from people. Or we can decide to go out there and conquer the world, show people that we are, because I don't like using disabled. I, I'm not yeah. disabled at all. I'm actually more able now. There's things I'm, like I said, serving I've never done before. And I'm all, always up for a challenge. And so, yeah, I, I think you, you have a mindset of one way or the other. I don't think there's a gray matter in there. I think it's one way or the other. You're either going to take That's on beautiful. the world with, with it and, and change people for the best, or you're going to sit back and let the world um, take advantage of you and you'll be a victim.
1: Oh, Look well, how fortunate we live in 2021, where we've got, you know, carbon fiber, we've got titanium, we've got engineers creating amazing things. We've got social media to share what people are doing and be able to share information. It's, I mean, there's, it, this is the best time ever to be an athlete. It really is. Yeah. And, and even if, you know, if you're unfortunate, you don't have health insurance, please, you know, the Challenge Athletes Foundation, there's grants, there's yes. ways of getting access to prosthetics and, and devices that basically, you know, let you live your dream.
0: Yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Now I'm curious, the photography. Yep. You, you went to school in California, right?
1: Correct, yep, Santa Barbara. Oh. Um, okay. A, a art school called Brooks Institute.
0: Okay, yeah. was that something that you decided that A, you wanted to be a photographer or a photographer of sharks after
1: your incident? Um, it um, The photography, the, the, the shark stuff didn't come until much later. The, the photography love felt uh, when I was um, on my bodyboarding team. My coach had a bunch of cameras and we would just sort of group around with the cameras and take photos of, you know, of our friends in the water and be able to show, like, this is really cool. You know, there's a rainbow over the water today and things like that. And or maybe it was six months after the attack, I was like, okay, I need to get a job and start, you know, this bodyboarding career isn't going to work out because it's it's just, it was with, with one leg, it was kind of a game changer. I mean, it was just, you know, it's hard to sit, but it was just, I kind of became out of the picture. And so I worked at a surf shop and the first day working at the surf shop, I had to stand around all day prior to that, you know, my limb and and everything was so new and my skin was so like, just sensitive um, with the liner and didn't have a good fit. So I stood around all day and that evening I got the biggest blister on my residual limb. And I remember having to go to the ER that night and had to cut it open and drain it. And just thinking like you know every job on this island is a tourism-based job where you got to stand around my friends were valets and, and I'd be like I can't you know run around cars and can barely stand at a surf shop and I need to figure something out and I, I talked to my parents and I'm like well you really love photography and, and started doing some um, stuff online and found the school and my mom's like well apply for it and uh, you know before if, if you don't get grants right away or student loans will help you know pay for for some of your schooling and I got accepted and packed up and moved to Santa Barbara and the more I I hung around like really insanely creative people and I had these you know instructors and professors that just motivated me so much to get creative and and make it a living and I had a really good mentor John Russell was a commercial advertising photographer that took me under his wing it was it was interesting he came to Kauai and, and he's sort of a reason as well that I got into photography he came to Kauai and shot photos of me for a magazine called, I think it was called breakaway magazine. It was a Christian magazine and it was uh, just kind of some stuff on the beach um, with my boogie board and he lived on the big island. And I just was like, oh, you know, he's a pretty cool guy and, and this and that, and didn't hear from him for a while. And about six months after that, and this had been about a year after the shark attack, that, he um, called me and he's like, I'm coming back to Kauai. I got hired by um, sports illustrated for kids to shoot this um, young kid. That's really good at football but I don't know anybody on island. Would you want to just hold some lights for me in a, a reflector and a fill card? And I was like, sure. And I went to, um, to this little town on paper on the west side. And I that's what I did for the day. And I just held these lights and these things and watched him do his magic. And I was just like, real curious of like, you know, what does that look like? And then a few weeks later, he sent me photos of the shoot. And I was like, oh, that's what you created. And I was part of that holding this and this and this. And Um, I just, I I was like, that's really cool. I want to do that. And I want to, you know, be a professional photographer like that. And fast forward, I I got accepted at Brooks and it was my third year in college there. And we had a bunch of marketing classes and one of our marketing classes, our teacher um, went around and it's called promotional pieces. They don't do as much nowadays because people have websites, but Mm -hmm. um, it's basically like an index card that has maybe a couple of your best images some clients that you've worked with maybe a little bit about you a little bio and it's like a double-sided glossy card like a five by seven with your contact information and the teacher handed everybody uh, different photographers around America and we had to critique it what's good and what's bad about the promo piece and the card that I got handed was John Russell the guy that I, I assisted and was half the reason I moved the school and I was like oh my gosh and it was crazy with this full circle and now I've got his promotional piece and I totally forgot, not forgotten about him, but it's just sort of put him in the back because, you know, just in school and this and that. And it had his phone number on there and I'd lost his contact information. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to give him a call. And as soon as class got out, I gave him a call and I'm like, my name is Mike. I don't know if you remember. He's like, of course I remember you. Da, da, da. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to Brooks Institute. And I'm loving photography. and I want to do what you do. And he's like, you don't need that school. He's like, and I'm actually in Santa Barbara right now. Let's grab lunch. Are you ah. in half an hour? And he was, i um, doing a photo shoot for Patagonia, which was based out of Santa Barbara. Um, had lunch with him and he's like you know do you want to would you like to help me uh, have clients that and this is the transition from um, digital to film or from film to digital and he's like I don't know anything about digital but they want some. they want to see digital proofs do you mind just being a second shooter on some shoots with me and I'll bring you under my wing and I'll teach you everything I know um, and you bring your digital camera I'll shoot film and we just submit to the client that our, our, and I was like heck yeah and um, mm-hmm. Oh. A, you know, a week later, I'm in Las Vegas shooting Andre Agassi with it. Like it was just this whole, and, and he had like these really high-end client, like Ritz Carlton, Four Seasons. So I would go on these really big productions and watch how he worked, watch how he interacted with people. And as a second shooter, like normally there's not even a second shooter. You're basically a, you're a photographer and you have a bunch of assistants. Because I was, I was shooting digital, I was able to get the previews to the client faster, um, than him normally just shooting film because there's these processing times. The client actually got really stoked. And half the time they ended up using some of my Im- images for the advertising campaign. And after a while, I asked John, I'm like, you know, do you mind if I, and you knew, can never do this if you're an assistant, but could I use Four Seasons as a client? Like when you make your you know promotional piece, you make your website, you got your client list. Um, or can I use Ritz Carlton as a client? And he's like heck yeah you got paid by them you're using your imagery why you know and he was just so supportive of that and be able to be in college and to have you know a a bigger name client like it's a total catch-22 in the advertising world Mm -hmm. ritz carlton is not going to hire you to shoot anything if you've never shot a big hotel chain before they don't want to you don't they don't want to test you out and be and you fail and if it's a million dollar budget you just cost the art director a million dollars that guy that job's on the line for him like they use people that approve. So it's a catch 20. Like, how are you going to get a big job if you've never shot a big job? But now I'm fortunate to have, you know, this higher end clientele because of, because of John and his, you know, kindness and, and taking him under his wing. So it really helped my career as a photographer early on in college. And then it was also just his style of shooting. And I don't know, he just really instilled on me that there's two things in photography that matter more than anything else. Number one, it's about the light. It doesn't matter the most complex shoot or you got, Waterfalls and dolphins, it's all about the light. That's the most important thing. It's just that quality of light and it's about people and it's about relationships and it's about saying thank you. It's about follow-up emails. At at that point in my my, my college, like majority of my friends were professional surfers. And those years a couple of years prior, it was like everything I don't know, it was, it's kind of hard to explain, but like everything just seemed like it was given to you. Like my friends are all getting flown around the world, making good money, everything is getting thrown at you, and there wasn't too many thank yous. There wasn't too many. It was just almost like this. That's the world where everybody just gives you stuff, gives you stuff. And what I noticed when I went to school art school was that there are so many hungry photographers and so many people that are trying to use every which angle and every contact and a contact of a contact to just get one up, just to be able to make their dream of making a penny as a professional photographer and being able to work with John and realizing it is about people and really instilling that. Okay. You know, I'm fortunate to have connections and this and that, but to, use those and to say thank you and to write follow-up letters and to, you know, just really go above and beyond and build relationships Um, because you're going to soon find out that in the photography world, the majority of your work is from repeat clients or referrals or people that really enjoy working from you. And they're at a dinner party with another advertising agency. And they're like this guy in Hawaii is really, you know, and just, it's real easy to blow bridges and it's real easy to, to do, you know, a junk job and, and it's a lot harder, I think, to just really put your best foot forward and to, and to do a good, th- just stoke people out, go above and beyond. And he really instilled that in me. And wow. I'm very fortunate to have him as a mentor. You know, It wasn't about, it's a great profession because you make this much money or this or this or this. It's, you can create these memories and you can build relationships and you can have fun doing it. It's creative. And I just, I really enjoyed that. And it was a pretty special time in my life to, just be able to, you know, absorb, I was like a sponge and just absorb all this amazing good information and, and the right stuff that as camera technology changes, as you know, social media and print magazines go aside, the things that he instilled in me, none of that's changed. It's about the light and it's about relationships.
0: Well, in your recent ones with your lighting, those pictures of the yeah. crashing yeah. waves and the light is incredible. Yeah. But yeah. I would say too, if you hadn't taken the bull by the horns in that class with that card yep. and called him. Yeah. And so yeah. that's, that again, that's um, for anybody listening, you know, sometimes it seems like just, you know, some people are just born lucky, but I think it's not about that as much as it's um, willing to step out even of a comfort zone, you know, that's that whole being comfortable with being uncomfortable. You don't know what the answer will be but you decided to make that call where it led was golden and maybe it yeah. wouldn't have led anywhere and you would have yeah. just gone a different path and that would have been it, but at least you did. Yeah. And so it, I, I truly believe that everything's about personal relationships. I think it is about extending kindness before kindness may be extended to you and, and building that and not burning bridges. Yeah. And, and really, I mean, what it took you was five seconds to dial in those numbers yeah. to say hi do you yeah. remember me yeah. yep. and then yeah. your yeah. life just decided yeah. to go that way right yeah yep. which is actually part of the journey and what I love about life now is like I would never have expected this eight years ago for me well let's just enjoy the ride and see where it takes us and the people I'm getting to meet like you and, and some other people around the world it's been incredible because I'm not afraid either I'm not afraid to just say hey you don't know me but I thought I would and if they ignore me they ignore me and move on you know but never know what doors will open and i think that's i think that is exciting in and of itself now when did your photography take the 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 angle of getting back in the water really getting i mean some of the pictures you've taken where you're up someone's taking a picture of you taking a picture and you are within a foot of a great white or whatever when did that Um, change
1: i I actually got into sharp conservation first um i was doing photography I, i no really intention of photographing sharks I just got I guess involved in the policy side of shark conservation like working with lawmakers to create like protections for sharks um, and it wasn't until my I think it was my second or third shark dive my, my first two shark dives I never took a camera and I didn't really I don't know I just was so just the whole process of going and diving the sharks I wasn't really thinking about photographing it I just wanted to experience it and those are a couple powerful dives there on Oahu Excuse me. It was when I got invited to go to Mexico on a, a week-long shark dive trip with Great Whites. I brought a GoPro and I had, you know, great water housing and great camera because I was shooting a lot of surfing at the time. I didn't even think to bring it. I just really had no idea what it was like, what was going to happen on this trip. I was just like, oh, I'll just bring this GoPro. It was like the like second GoPro made and the resolution, you know, and it was, I was just like, I'll just bring it. It's easy to travel with. And I had really no idea. It was my first time in the water with a Great White when I took those images and, Put them on the laptop you know that lunch and saw what was on the screen that I was like wow this is amazing this is what I want to do and and, and from there that was another defining moment and after that trip I wanted to do that more and more yeah but, you know it was my, my first time it was in Guadalupe Island this amazing couple wanted an ocean they invited me and after that trip I, I felt like my life kind of took a different route and it just also, also happened to be a, a time with social media and be able to share these images to you know, for free, without having to rely on a magazine or, or this or that, and, and just share my experiences on what I loved about sharks. And what I found that I that really worked for me was, like in college, I studied portraiture, shooting people. Okay. And my first trip um, with my proper camera, I decided to use like a a portrait lens. But traditionally, underwater photography is shot with wide angle lenses, okay. like a fisheye, a fifteen millimeter. And the reason why is underwater, the the volume of water, you get start getting a lot of particles and you're further away from your subject. It gets easier. You lose contrast, you lose focus. Um, So you want to be closer to your subject so you can reduce that volume of water to make a clearer image. And in turning so, if you shoot a fish or a turtle, you need something wider so you can see the whole animal. But we were in such clear water. This was in the Bahamas. The water was like unbelievably clear. I just, you know, thought and I'm on a boat with 10 other divers and every one of those has a 15 millimeter lens. If you go on Google and you type in underwater photography, do an image search, every photo that you see is with probably a 15 millimeter. It's just, it's what people do underwater. And I was like, I'm gonna try to take my portrait lens underwater instead. Like a 50 millimeter, 75 millimeter, you know, 70 to 200. Took it underwater because the water was so clear. I could get a little further away from my subject, but use those techniques that I use to shoot people, focus on the eye, composition, like sort of that move, like everything that you would do with a person, I just imagine I'm doing that with, it, you know, the shark's a person. I just, I, and I came back, I looked at those images and I'm like, whoa, this is something uniquely different. And then when I, if I go on a trip and I take, let's say 2000 images, when I go through those images and edit them, I try to find those little characteristics that are almost human characteristics, like a smirk, a smile, you know, some, catch light in the eye, sort of like almost like a wink or something that you can almost like see a little bit of yourself in. And I just, and so it's like the combination of using a person lens, a portrait lens, finding those things in the editing that are almost like human characteristics. I think weaving those two together, it sort of creates a unique way of looking at sharks and it's something a little different. And I, I think people have enjoyed that. Oh, for sure. So and, then talk about the advocacy,
0: what moment to find that for you and, and what does um, that mean? What yeah.
1: do you do? Yeah. So that was a great question. So I, um, After the shark attack, I studied, like, I would go to the library. Um, There was a lot of shark attack books. We have, um, like, hoi shark attack files, and I would just kind of just want to know why I got attacked, whether it was, like, the tides, maybe the moon phase, that stinky smell I smelled, and I don't know, I just, I didn't really find any answers. I just was just really curious of why I got attacked, and I knew a lot about what sharks were doing to to us, and I really had no idea what we were doing to sharks, and it wasn't until this would have been 2011, I think. I got a phone call from a lady named Debbie Solomon, and she actually got attacked by a a shark in Florida, attacked her leg. And she was like, I have this wild idea of getting other shark attack survivors. There's a a bill going through Congress that was closing a lot of loopholes on shark finning. And and it's a a process where you cut off the fins of sharks, dump the rest of the shark overboard, and just keep the fins, and it's made um, for shark fin soup a delicacy in Asia, and, and I had no idea about that. And I, I was like, you know, shark conservation. And she's like, yeah, I wanna get a bunch of people together that have been attacked by sharks and we'll get you all to go to Washington to talk to Congress and try to get them to pass this bill. And I was like, I, you know, it sounds great, but I just have no idea what the, what is. And she's like, watch Shark Water. It's on YouTube, it's a documentary by Rob Stewart. Um, and it'll explain everything. And that night I watched it and absolutely blown away. Um, there was a number that came on the screen, 70 million sharks a year killed for their fins. I thought it was a typo and I, I rewound it watched it again and it was that number that i felt really compelled to do something i think just as an ocean lover just 70 million sharks a year kill and i just it seemed absurd to me and i watching the film i learned why we need sharks in our ocean what function they play how they a health healthy reef ecosystem has a healthy shark population a healthy ocean has a lot of sharks we need sharks in our ocean yeah. to sustain life here on earth and called Debbie back the next day i'm like i had no idea about this call me in and next week i was sitting in senator's office in, in dc i would use my shark story to sort of open these doors to these top lawmakers in the country that normally it's very hard to get these sit-down meetings with and i would come in with a biologist i'd share my story and then turn it to the biologist this is what we need from you and the biologist would talk about the importance of sharks and be like, thank you. And we got that bill passed. It was absolutely incredible. And I think it was a month after that, we had a a bill going through our legislature here in Hawaii that made the possession of shark fins contraband, completely contraband, almost like it was drugs or something. And it was nothing like that else in the country existed. And we were told because of that, we have a really powerful fisheries here that it wouldn't get passed. It set precedent for other states, this and that. And I, I spoke out at, you know, some of the hearings and helped helped with that bill, and it got passed. We were the first state in the nation to do so, and months later, other, other states piggybacked our bill. We were able to create protections pretty much all across America that were, are similar to what we have in Hawaii. I've been fortunate to speak to the United Nations about the importance of marine protected areas. Um, went wow. to, to New York and and spoke to different delegates from, you know, across the world of the importance of creating areas that are basically off limits to fishing that are sort of like a, a savings account that you know you can't just take 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 you need to have areas that are protected and there's real value in that right? i'm a real believer in they're called mpas marine protected areas and we need to have areas on earth in our oceans that are just no take you can't you know deep sea mine for minerals you can't bottom trawl you can't commercial fish it's just let it be yeah uh, and, and that's going to ensure you know hopefully that the health of our oceans for generations to come and that that sort of started my interest in shark conservation, and then it was you know, being able to share stories as a photographer and use my talent as a photographer and what I what I find of you know of beauty of sharks and share that with the people that love sharks. And I've I've definitely seen a trend in the last few years of the mindset of what Hollywood used to sell us of sharks being dangerous, man-eating creatures to now a much you know, needed creature in our in our seas that's a pretty awesome thing to see very much so it is
0: and we need to remember that when we go into the ocean whether it's for fun or whatever we're we're in their their turf and so you don't know I mean you probably still really don't know what it was that day do you Um, you know
1: it might have we have a shrimp farm here and they're doing an environmental impact statement um testing the discharge of shrimp waste and I was surfing right in front of that discharge was that the smell well yeah that was the smell yeah so i think i was just the wrong place at the wrong time and when when
0: you and i met um, a couple of years ago you had said a lot of your pictures aren't taken at kawaii there's there's not there isn't that much
1: um well on my jet ski every single day looking for sharks and the odds are i've only seen one shark i go on a lot i've only seen one shark it's there's not as we don't have as many sharks as people think we have yeah um, And and if you want to really take good shark photos, you've got to go to places in the world that are natural aggregation sites where there's a high population of sharks for whatever reason. Um, That's sort of the key to getting great shark imagery.
0: What are some of your top areas in the world that you've gone for um, great photography?
1: Yeah, for For, for great whites, um, Mexico, Guadalupe, Mexico is an amazing dive site. It's off of Baja, about 200 miles off the coast. It's usually a week trip because it's so remote. South Island of New Zealand, there's an island at the very south called Stewart Island, and it's usually day trips from a little town called Bluff. It's really rugged, but the sharks there are sort of got their own character. Um, they sort of match the terrain, and they're, they're just they're really beautiful and really fun to photograph. For Tiger sharks, um, Bahama's amazing. North Shore Oahu's got a great tiger shark dive, if it, but it's a bit seasonal. We have shark over that's when I got attacked, and Bethany got attacked, it's late October. Um, boy, we seem to have more tiger sharks in our near-shore waters, and I'm heading to the Maldives in a few weeks. Um, there's an amazing tiger shark dive there, and, and I've, I've heard really good things. A lot. I'm excited to do that dive as well.
0: That's awesome. Well, that'll be fun. We can't wait to see those pictures, of course. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to ask you a couple of questions just to, to see some of your favorites. So, what would be your favorite moment or most memorable moment since your amputation, or since you lost your leg? Uh,
1: but it, it would have been in Iceland um, when I was gifted a running blade, and mm-hmm. I. And this would have been 17 years after my shark attack i could not could not run and people would ask me what can you do with your prosthetic?" i'd be like everything but run because i really couldn't run i'd do this weird like double hop step and i was in iceland they're making me a surfing prosthetic and they had my um, my mold for my residual limb and they had sort of on the side didn't really tell me about it or they i think they told me but i didn't really process it but they were making me a running blade and the mm-hmm. last day i was there they like, handed it to me and like here you go We had an indoor trap and field and that first run after not being able to run for 17 years, putting it on and feeling that movement and not that double. And to be able to just run, I was in tears. It was an incredible. Life. And it was also, I felt like now I could do anything in the world, like that was the one thing I couldn't do. And to be able to do that, pretty magical. I would say that was probably the most incredible moment. Yeah.
0: yeah, I can understand that. I think uh, if you've if you've lost some of those freedoms, you don't realize when you get them back people don't realize yeah. when you do actually I get them it. back
1: I'm tired of, I actually hate it running but it's yeah and now i love it you
0: don't realize how magical that moment is yeah. what about um what's your favorite shark to photograph
1: a great white um they're just the most challenging i think they're the most beautiful they're majestic you really it's like you're looking at a dinosaur like a living dinosaur a great white definitely
0: where where's Where's your favorite photo of a Great White Taken? One that you've done. Um, it
1: was probably my, my first dive trip to New Zealand um, and it, it ended up becoming a meme. Uh, it's a shark sticking its head out of the water. And I had a um, big wooden doll that I bought at the hardware store in New Zealand. I used the, of the older GoPros in the half second timer mode and just sort of stuck it on the water line and it came up and, and did um, just sort of like this breathing. Uh, I think it's called like spy hopping. Um, yeah. It's, it's not really common, yeah. And uh, it became a meme, uh, like That's stepping awesome. on a light up. yeah
0: yeah <laughs> okay and and of all the places you've gone which it sounds like you've gone to a lot of amazing places what was your favorite place to travel and why
1: Ooh, um i think i think i haven't been there yet to be one but it, there's this place called nugget point in new zealand it's a really ru- it's a lighthouse in a really rugged area of new zealand and uh, my girlfriend at the time we just stumbled upon it randomly and started hiking up this hill and you know sunset hour and it was probably one of the most gorgeous vistas i've ever seen it was like fantasy land um you're just on this like there's a cliff on both sides with these uh, like islands that go out as far as you can see with the sun setting and just absolute magic that was it's a nugget point south island of brazil all
0: right and so then you, you bring up my, a question i didn't have is then if there's a place that you have not been yeah. where do you want to go
1: i like to go to norway and photograph orcas in norway
0: that would be pretty cool be cold
1: yeah
0: Yeah. (laughs) it'd be a little cold but that would be really neat very cool all right i'm going to try one new thing with you i hope you are game a speed round of this or that you don't get to think about it there's no real question behind it so you don't know what i'm really going to be asking but i'm going to give you two options and you tell me which one best suits you okay all right swim trunks or jeans swim trunks bull shark or great white great white this one might be this might be hard to swallow the hawaiian islands are Kauai or the mainland kawaii <laughs> you don't you can't turn your back on your your yeah, yeah. friends there football or baseball football bodyboarding or surfing
1: i no comment
0: <laughs> oh iced tea <laughs> or lemonade lemonade cheeseburger or hot dog
1: cheeseburger
0: this is a hawaii thing for you Shave ice or ice cream? Ice cream. Morning person or night owl?
1: Morning person.
0: All right, cool. Yeah. Well, there you have it. That's Mike yeah. in a nutshell there. Um, appreciate you having you on. And uh, this has been a blast getting to know you better. Yeah, and I, I really, really hope fun. that, I hope people, when they hear this, they they see the, not just the questions or what they were, but where your heart was with this. And, and um, you know, I would say that you are- uh, Very successful. You've you've grown into your circumstance really well, Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with a your upbringing, your family unit, the friends that you've surrounded yourself with have all created that kind of environment. That how could you not be successful? You persevere, and you you're a strong person. You have a kind heart, and I love that you're doing something amazingly positive and good with your circumstance and that uh, you're, you don't have that fear to live the life that you've always wanted to live. And that's, yeah. that's powerful and, and empowering for
1: everyone. Well, thank you. Thanks for taking interest in my story and being able to take the time to chat. This has been fun.
0: For sure. I love it. There you have it. Mike Coots, everyone. Surfer, shark attack survivor, shark advocate, and an awesome photographer. You need to check out his Instagram at Mike Coots. I hope you enjoyed hearing his story and how he has overcome the circumstances of his life and used them to do good things in the world and to create a great life for himself. Which brings me then to our call to action. This week, I want you to take a look at your circumstances. Are you the victim or are you the riser? And I want you to think about Mike's story and what could have been tragedy for him he was able to rise from. It came from his mindset, the attitude he took about life, his desires, his goals, and his support system. Now, you may not have all of those things together. Many of you I've talked to don't have much of a support system but that does not mean you can't rise up and live your best life. So take that one circumstance and ask yourself where you're at with it and how can you overcome? What needs to change in the way you're thinking about each day and thinking about your life? And I want you to really focus on that this next week. Figure out what it is that you need to do To change your thinking, to change your mindset, to change your attitude. Find out where you need the help and elicit help from people around you where you need it. You don't have to do it alone. It can be done. Um, And I would just love to see each one of you rise. Past your circumstances. You are more than your circumstance. Show that to the world and live your best life. Coming up now this next 4 weeks we have limb loss awareness month in April and I have 4 more weeks of amazing guests with Mike starting us off and going through doctors and prosthetists and physical therapists and other surgeons. You don't want to miss it. So please make sure you subscribe and share with those that might need it. And as always, until next time, be healthy be happy, be you.